morning, church. Good to have you today. Good to have those joining us online as well. We know you're out there, and we're glad that you are here. All right, I want to start today with a little quiz. Got a pop test for you, and it's based on this statement. The statement is, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Now, don't answer this out loud. I have three questions based on that statement. Number one, what book does this come from? It's a classic of English literature. What book does it come from? Number two, who is the author? And in that book, what character made this statement? Okay, so um, it, we're going to circle back around to this at the end of the message, and that's when we'll give the answers to those questions. But you may know the answers. No particular reason that you would or you wouldn't, but if you happen to be familiar with it, you can jot down the answer, and then you have huge bragging rights at the end of the message today. And one other thing, here's another clue. If you happen to be a Trekkie, if you're a Trekkie, there was a character in the original Star Trek series in 1967, this episode of 1967, Ricardo Monteblon played Khan. All right, in that episode, Khan quotes this statement, and he, and he gives the author. He gives the author. So if you happen to be a Trekkie, there's a, there's a little extra something there for you. But as far as this statement goes, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. The reason I'm starting with this, C.S. Lewis later said about this statement, he said, this is actually a choice that every person has to make about the kind of life I'm going to live. Am I going to live a life where I'm, I'm in charge, I reign, I rule, Nobody can tell me what to do. I'm the master of my own domain. This is my body. I do whatever I want to. Or am I going to live a life of service? And then one path leads to hell, and the other path leads to heaven. Now, if you're new to us, we've been in a series of sermons where we're emphasizing our mission statement up here. Love God, love people, and serve others. And in January, our focus was love God. And we tied this in particularly to weekly corporate worship, which is going to church, but loving God. And then in February, we were talking about loving people. That's the most satisfactory life to live and how loving people focuses on giving rather than receiving and with patience and courtesy. But this month, we're shifting over to serve others, serve others. But really, we're going we're gonna to go back and revisit the first two, January and February, because I want to start with why. Before we talk about how do I serve others, what kind of ministry should I have, what are, what's my gift mix, I want to talk about why, the motivation behind service. And this goes back to love. So I'm just going to say three things this morning about serving others. Three things. Number one, when you love God, you will serve others. Right. When, you, when you love God, you will serve others. Jesus said, Luke 22, 27, I am among you as one who serves. The reason that when you love God, you'll serve others, or one of the reasons is because the God we love is a serving God. He's a serving God. This is part of his character. And it stands to reason then that as God manifests his character in us, his glory in us, that that would be manifested through service to others in our life. So you know God. You know God's a serving God, but I just want to reinforce that for us today. I mean, we say, I love God. Well, what do we love about God? Well, there's a lot of things to love about God. But today, let's love the fact that our God is a serving God. He serves us. He provides for us. Theologians call this the providence of God. Notice that word provide is in that word providence. And it means that God not only created things, he continues to provide and serve and feed and sustain 
everything that he created. I'm going to read a long passage of Scripture to you this morning. I don't like to read to you necessarily, but hang with me. I want it to leave an impression for us. I'm going to read this passage, and you can follow along the verses when they go up there on the screen. The impression is I want to reinforce for us the fact our God is providing for us, each one of us right now, and continues to do so, and not just us, but for all of his creation. Psalm 104.10. We begin with that verse. You you, God, the psalmist writes, you make springs pour water into the ravine, so streams gush down from the mountains. They provide water for all the animals. The birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the tree. You, God, you cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them, people, to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin, bread to give them strength. Oh, Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here's the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. See the ships sailing along. They all depend on you to give them food as they need it. When you supply it, they gather it. You open your hand to feed them, and they richly are satisfied. When you give them your breath, life is created, and you renew the face of the earth. All right, you see what the psalmist is saying here. God created everything, and he continues to sustain it, provide it, and I'm calling that service. This is the service of God to us. Let me read you a theological statement from Francis Piper. Again, hang with me. I'm reading, I know. But this would be worth it. Hang with me on this and, and remember the impression that we're making. Francis says, as God has created all things, as God has created all things, so also his providence extends over all. He preserves not only man, the noblest creature, but also all irrational animals. God cares. He cares not only for the genus of birds, but for every species, storks, swallows, and sparrows, and even for every single individual of species, every species, for every single stork and swallow and sparrow. He not only takes care of the trees that grow and are preserved, but he provides for every single tree and branch and leaf. The smallest, most insignificant, and most useless thing is under God's government and providence. As the light of the sun does not disdain the lowliest worm, so also God's providence does not turn away from it. God does not rule like an earthly king who provides by a general edict for every one of his subjects in general, though there are thousands whom the king does not know. God knows the smallest and provides for it. If it is not improper for God to create them, why would it be improper for him to preserve them? The power of God is not less evident in the creation of a gnat than in an elephant. And the same applies to his providence. Finally, it does not overburden God, as one might think. His infinite intellect knows no weariness, he is God of the small. He is God of the might, the morsel, the mote, and the molecule. He is God of the particle and the pittance. To him, insignificant is significant, and there are no secrets. Okay, so I'm, I'm done reading to you for, for the most part, but remember, what's our point here? The God we love is a, a serving God. He serves us by providing for us. And so, in our hearts, God has placed this desire to serve. It's part of, we're made in his image. So we want to serve. We want to help. We want to do good things. We want to provide for others. God has put that there. That's God the Father. What about Jesus, the second person of the Godhood? Of course, he is, he is a serving Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 26, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the word for servant there is diakonos in the original language from which we get deacon. A deacon's a servant, a minister. Jesus is a servant and a minister. If you're familiar with the life of Jesus, you know this. Right? See Jesus 
cooking breakfast for the disciples while they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and then he serves it to them. See Jesus with the towel around his waist, washing the disciples' feet. See Jesus feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000. See Jesus working 18-hour days, going without sleep so that he can continue to heal the multitudes that are coming to him, missing meals so that he can serve. We know this about Jesus, right? He is a serving Lord, the Holy Spirit. Let's get all three members of the Godhood in there. The Holy Spirit is a serving God. Paul writes about him in Romans 8, 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, specifically about prayer, but this is a general statement about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, what does that word mean? Ministry means service. The service of the Holy Spirit. He's inside. He indwells us to help us, to serve us to give us the desire to do God's will, to empower us to do God's will, to make us more like Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, serving God. So my four-year-old granddaughter, Cora, just completed her first season of t-ball. What a hoot. And the coach, uh, before every game, they have uh, calisthenics. Coach is leading them in calisthenics. Well, this particular coach had injured his leg. He had a cast on his leg. So he leads them in jumping jacks. Here's the way coach does jumping jacks. Right? Got to do that. So guess what? Every one of those four-year-olds, how they do their jumping jacks. They're all doing jumping. That's, I can just imagine some of those boys who grow up and go out for football when they're in high school and the coaches are doing jumping jacks like this. Why do they do that? Well, they're, they're going to be like, they're going to do what the coach does. They're going to be like their coach. And likewise, Jesus said students are to be like their teacher. And we're going to be like our Lord. When we're like our Lord whom we serve, Jesus, like God, our creator, when we're like the Holy Spirit, we are like him as servants. When you love God, you're going to serve. Anne Lamont wrote Interview with a Vampire and a lot of other vampire books. And later on, she became a Christian, though. And as a Christian, she wrote, again and again, I tell God, I need help. And God says, well, isn't that fabulous? Because I need help too. So you go get that old woman over there some water, and I'll figure out what we're going to do about your stuff. All right, here's the second thing I want to say about service this morning. So number one, uh, love God. When you love God, you will serve. Number two, when you love people, you will serve others. You'll serve people. Why? Well, obviously. You love people, you care. You genuinely care about people. You're going to care about their needs and want to, want to serve people. 1 John 3.18, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So a lawyer comes to Jesus. And the lawyer says, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And like any good teacher or great teacher, Jesus turned the question around on him and asked him a question. He said, all right, you're a lawyer. How do you read the law? The law of Moses. How does it read to you? What do you think? And the lawyer says, well, here's how I read it. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, bingo, you get an A. Good student. You do that, and you will live. And the Bible says, but the lawyer wasn't satisfied. He wanted to justify himself. He's kind of worried about loving his neighbor there. And so he, he asked a follow-up question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? And in answer to that, Jesus told one of his most famous stories. He said there was a Jewish man. He was going, he was traveling on the road to Jericho. And on the road, he was attacked by a couple of muggers. And they, they beat him up. And he's, he's laying wounded there by the side of the road. And so he uh, reported this to the police. And the police 
took his report, and upon their investigation, they found out that the supposed victim had staged the whole thing, and so they arrested the victim. Oh, wait a minute. I'm getting that confused with uh, another, another story, current event story. Sorry. What happened in Jesus' story, so the man was traveling to Jericho. He gets attacked by robbers. He's beaten, left by the injured on the side of the road. And uh, here comes a religious leader, a priest, who walks on the other side of the road, won't even make eye contact. Levite, religious leader, won't help him. And then finally, a Samaritan comes, an, an, an ethnic minority who is hated during that day. And the Samaritan helped the man, dressed his wounds, paid for his medical care. And Jesus says, all right, who's the neighbor to the victim? And, of course, the answer was obvious, and they got it right. It was the Samaritan who was the neighbor to the victim. Well, Jesus answers two questions. He answers one question that was asked and one unasked question. Who is my neighbor, the lawyer asked. Well, whoever, you know, needs help. See somebody in help who needs help? That's your neighbor. But the other question they asked, he answered is, what does it mean to love my neighbor? How did, how did the Samaritan love his neighbor? By serving him, by helping him. Love your neighbor equals serve your neighbor. That's how we love. We love through service. But when you love people, you're going to serve others. Rochelle Groner was on a flight from Israel to North Carolina about a year ago. Eight-hour flight, scheduled for eight hours. When they were on the plane, they delayed for three hours. And after they got in the air, one hour, so the total of four hours in the air so far, still have seven to go. When there was a boy who had autism, began acting out. He's, he's yelling, and everybody's already frustrated, and it's very intense. This boy's acting out. Nobody's doing anything. His mother was sitting beside him. She was, she's from Africa, doesn't hardly speak English, Muslim, traditional Muslim garb. And Rochelle, as this goes on, says, I've got to do something. I've got to help that kid. So she gets up. She walks over, offers her hand, extends her hand to the boy. The boy takes her hand. They walk to the back of the airplane. There's a little area there. They sit down. She takes off his shoes. And for several hours, she just entertains him and plays with him, calms him down. And the mother expressed her gratitude. And later on, Rochelle wrote this, if we just offer our hand in love and acceptance, miracles will follow. I know you know this. I look out over here. I see so many people that I know who love God and love people and as a result, who serve others. And I was, I was preparing this. I was just sat down, and some examples came to my mind. I decided to write them down, some service examples. I'm thinking of a member of our congregation named Jennifer who hasn't been physically able to attend services for a few years because of health problems. A lady in our church checks on Jennifer regularly and makes sure that her needs are met and that she knows no one has forgotten her or that she's alone. I'm thinking of four different families in our church over the last couple of years who have had transportation issues and who have been given cars by other members of this church. I'm thinking of a young man who made Valentine's for everyone in the church last month. I'm thinking of a member who took red helium balloons and Valentine's and tied them to the doorknobs of his neighbors to convey care and love. I'm thinking of a woman who makes homemade cookies for the guests in our Discover Luncheon every month. I'm thinking of another couple who deliver cookies to the doorstep of first-time guests in the week after they worship with us if they provide their address. I'm thinking of a man in our church who visits the elderly widows, helps to maintain their cars and their homes. I'm thinking of a man in our church who has helped countless people straighten out their computer issues. I'm thinking of a couple of youth sponsors whose own children have long since aged out of the youth group, but who keep at it because they love the youth. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking 
that I could go on and on here just with the examples I know. And that's the tip of the iceberg because there are so many examples that I don't know of people who are loving God and loving people by serving others. So what are we saying this morning? It's pretty simple. When you love God, you will serve others. When you love people, you will serve others. The other thing that I want to say about service is this. Loving service is the best kind of service there is. Loving service. Service motivated by love. There's all kind of potential motivations for service. You know, you can serve out of guilt, and you can serve out of fear. You can have a legalistic motivation, or you can have a gracious love motivation. But love motivation is the best kind of service. That's the service that goes the extra mile. The extra mile. That's that phrase entered the English lexicon because of the teaching of Jesus, right? Now, I mean, a Jewish man had to carry a Roman soldier's pack for a mile by law. And the average Jew resented that and would throw that pack down right at the mile markers. It's yours now. Jesus said, don't do that. Then you carry that pack another mile. You got the one mile that you're required to give? Give another mile, 2x your service. Serve in love. That whole, whole different bar for love. Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, you have heard the law says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, and that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Uh, you know, contrast Jonah and Paul. Now, these are both missionaries. Jonah's an Old Testament missionary. Paul's a New Testament missionary. Jonah's a legalistic missionary. And Paul's a grace-love missionary. So Jonah is sent by God to the Assyrians over there in Nineveh, preach a message of repentance so they can be saved. Jonah didn't want to do that. Went the other direction. That's where the fish came in and swallows him and deposits him on the shore of Nineveh. So he begrudgingly preaches a message for three days. The Ninevites receive it. They repent, and they're saved. What does Jonah do? Throws a fit. He's watching on the top of this hill. He says, I knew you were going to do that, God. He was hoping, he, he was waiting for God to nuke the Ninevites. That's what he wanted because he didn't care a thing about them. In fact, he hated them. Now, he got, he got the job done, but it was one and done. You don't read anything else about Jonah. Now, you got Paul over here in the New Testament. He's a missionary too. Three missionary journeys. Traveled 10,000 miles, planting churches all the way. Paul actually elevates Christianity from a, a Jewish subset, a sect, into a worldwide religion. That's Paul. What's the difference there? Motivation. Here's what Paul said about his motivation. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ, love compels us. You got Samson and Stephen. All right, these, these guys are both martyred. They're martyred for their faith. Samson in the Old Testament, with his dying words, what were his dying words? Oh, Lord, let me have revenge on my enemies, the Philistines. Boom, he dies. Stephen preached a message, the gospel message of salvation to his audience, which was rejected. And as they are stoning him to death, Stephen's last words, oh, Lord, don't hold this against them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What's the difference? Law, legalism, and grace, and love. It's all in the motivation. And love service is the best kind of service. John Wesley is the father of the Methodist denomination. Over a period of 40 years, Wesley traveled on horseback 250,000 miles to preach and lead an era of revival. He traveled an, era, an average of 20 miles a day, preached 40,000 sermons. He wrote 400 
books, 400 books. He learned 10 languages. He was distressed that he could not write more than 15 hours a day because his eyes were failing at the age of 83. He was chagrined he could not preach more than an average of twice a day at age 86. His diary records that he now deplored an increasing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 a.m. How do you explain such a life of service? Wesley wrote this. I saw that giving all my life to God would profit me nothing unless I gave all my heart to him. Brother Lawrence, a 17th century Carmelite monk, goes into the monastery so he can learn to be close to God, love God. You know where they put him? In the kitchen. He had to cook all the meals for all the other monks. He had to do all the cleanup. He's taking orders from everybody. He's low man on the totem pole, and he realizes, I got to learn how to get close to God down here in the kitchen. And he wrote, Practicing the Presence of God, a Christian classic. Here's a poem from Brother Lawrence. O Lord of pots and pans and things, since I have no time to be a great saint by doing lovely things or watching late with thee or dreaming in the dawnlight or storming heaven's gates, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Warm all the kitchen with thy love and light it with thy peace. Forgive me all my worrying and make my grumbling cease. Thou who loved to give men food and room or by the sea, accept the service that I do, I do it unto thee. Better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. If you got this right and you wrote it down, come and see me after the service because I want to know. But the author is John Milton. All right, that may help some of you. Some of you may be on the track right, on track right now. John Milton. The book is Paradise Lost. And the character who said the statement in the book Paradise Lost is Satan. And it sounds like something, it's a fiction book, but it sounds like something he would say, doesn't it? Better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. But as usual, he got it exactly backwards. Satan got this exactly backwards. Listen to what the psalmist writes, Psalm 84.10. The psalmist writes, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Wouldn't you? I'd rather be up there in heaven by the pearly gates, help handing out bulletins and shaking people in the door. Give me a broom, I'll sweep the streets of gold. Whatever you want me to do, that's fine. I'll be a, I'd rather be a servant in the house of God any day than to rule in hell. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're simply remembering this morning that you are a serving God. It's part of your nature. You're great, awesome, and powerful, omnipotent, omniscient. You're the ruler, but you're also the provider. You're among us as one who serves. We remember that today. We love that about you today. And so once again, we come humbly before you, asking you to manifest your glory in our lives. Give us that great desire to serve our neighbors, to provide for others. May your glory be seen through that, your character through us. In Jesus' name, amen.